with people who are non-monogamous, one of the trends that we've been seeing over the last couple of years is non-monogamy is definitely in. A majority of our daters still do seek monogamous relationships, but in 2021, users seeking non-monogamous relationships increased 7%, and mentions of non-monogamy and throuple in users' profiles went up 21%. Now, yes, that does sound like a low percentage, but it's not really when you're considering that there are millions and millions of people on this app. And when we looked at our questions, like we've talked about our questions before, but we our our in-app questions have been answered millions and millions of times. And one of our questions that I was looking at recently was, would you consider having an open relationship? And over the years, 30% 30% of almost 30 million daters on our app said they they would consider having an open relationship. But going back to the data, if we break that down by year, this actually jumped from 29% of people in 2018 saying they'd be into non-monogamy to 30% of people in 2019 and 2020, and then up to 34% in 2021 and 2022. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are talking about online dating and OkCupid with their head of communications, Michael Kay. Today, we're going to be discussing how online dating has changed over the course of the pandemic, give some general advice on how to navigate the online dating scene, and answer some questions that you, our listeners, specifically gave uh, to ask someone from OkCupid about non-monogamous dating. We're really excited to have you here on this episode, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped for this conversation. I'm so glad to hear that. I imagine that the past three years have been a wild ride. (laughs) To say the least, (laughs) I I joined the team right before the pandemic. So seeing how dating and relationships have ebbed and flowed over the past couple of years has been kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious about like what that was like when the pandemic really hits and like no one can go on a date really. Like what was it like sheer panic and like fires burning everywhere behind the scenes at OkCupid? (laughs) Was was there some really intense strategizing? Mm -hmm. Like what was the feeling around that at that time? Yeah. So I think we experienced the pandemic very similarly to everyone else. We we were a little bit nervous, but I think it was more as you know, nerves from us as people versus employees. We were navigating this as people too. We had no idea what was happening and everyone actually stayed really calm. I obviously went through my hair dyeing phase, shaving my head phase all very early on. Um, but when it came to dating, we, we didn't see a huge impact. I would say the first couple of weeks, even month of the pandemic, yes, activity on the app slowed, but as we went further on, activity engagement actually skyrocketed because we couldn't go anywhere. 
So people had nothing else to do besides be on their phones. So they were matching with people more than ever before. They were um, talking to people more than ever before. One trend that I think was really interesting is that we saw women specifically take control of their dating lives and they were sending more first messages than they ever had in our history wow wow that is interesting yeah because i feel like that's something again i haven't been on the dating apps in like a little while now but i'm always caught off guard by how still even today there is this convention of like women are kind of I, I don't know maybe discouraged from sending a first message and men are often hyper encouraged to be aggressive and assertive in that way so that's really fascinating why, why do you think that is you know i th- i think they and this is just speaking from my personal opinion i think they were just tired of waiting hmm. for a message from who they consider to be a quality match, whether that's a guy, a woman, non-binary person, whoever it is. And they stopped waiting for that courtship and said, why the hell can I just send a first message (laughs) and take control of my own dating life? And what's actually fascinating, and this should hopefully encourage all women out there to send a first message, is that conversations that are initiated by women on OkCupid last longer than conversations that are started by men that makes sense and just to build on to what you said men you don't have to be aggressive don't (laughs) be like that on a dating app it's just not gonna land (laughs) well yes yeah i think i think more often what men get is the like you have to just send out as many messages and just like everybody because you're so desperate for choice you just got to maximize the chance that anyone's gonna like you which i mean there's a whole lot of societal stuff that we could we could try to unpack with that but but I do feel like that's kind of the messaging. And I'm curious, I mean, because you have access to all the data, right? And OkCupid has for years now been an awesome source of data because you actually publish quite a lot of it. Uh, and it's been a resource that we've talked about on many episodes on this show as well. I'm curious if you have anything to kind of add to that from just like being able to look big picture wise at, at all these users about that kind of spamming that I'm going to like everybody to try to get a match mm. and I'm just going to send out kind of template messages or or whatever to everyone. What have you seen about that? Yeah. So we can see more data on what, how people are responding to our questions. That's really where the bulk of our data comes from. So for anyone who's unfamiliar, OkCupid has thousands of in-app matching questions. They cover everything related to dating relationships and sex, but also pretty much every issue that's top of mind for Gen Z, millennial, Gen X daters. So we have questions about climate change, gun control, marriage equality, the list goes on. These questions have actually been answered more than 410 million times wow. in 2022 alone. And <laughs> oh, wow. nearly, nearly eight, nearly 10 billion times since we launched our app. So when it comes to first messages, we actually have a question about what someone's looking for in a first message and Mm. the top two responses that we're hearing from our daters is just ask them a question or reference something that you see on their profile which is why we talk about profiles all the time you have to give people content to respond to whether it's in your prompts or your photos but that's what lands really well a hey a hi that actually has the highest rate of being ignored by someone that makes sense (laughs) <laughs> what yeah, are you like? Yeah. What are you? How are you supposed to respond to that? Like, hi back. I mean, you know nothing about this person, and they clearly aren't really right. looking or engaging with anything that you say on your profile. 
that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I will mm. it just say, like, I've heard this sentiment out there that it's it's rough in the dating scene from some of my friends who are really active in the dating scene. They'll go out on maybe two, three, four dates with someone, and then all of a sudden the, the plug is pulled, and it's like, ah, I'm not that interested or something along those lines. And I think it's overwhelming because there are so many apps out there and there are so many different options, you know, the swiping or the looking or whatever. There's so many options out there for people. So do you have any like blanket advice for someone who's getting into the dating scene, maybe after a long term relationship has broken up or somebody who's, you know, young and just starting to move into dating online? Yeah, so. First, because people know I work on a dating app, they think that I want people dating 24-7. And that actually couldn't be farther from the truth. First of all, dating is tough. It's really hard. It's a part-time job. Some people consider it a full-time job. And you have to go into it with the mindset that, you know, this is going to take some work on your end and it's going to take some time. And I talk to people, I talk to daters all the time and I ask them, or really tell them, if you're not in the mindset to date, take a break. Mm. You don't have to be on the apps all the time. But if you are in the mindset and you're looking for someone, one or more, whatever it is you're looking for, you have to be willing to put in the work. You have to spend a few minutes at least every day on your dating app. Um, and you know, you're know you going to get out of these dating apps, no matter which one it is, what you put into it. And if you're going to put minimal effort you're going to get candidates who are also putting in minimal effort to dating and you're mm. both just not going to vibe. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I, I want to jump on. I do think that, yeah, we've touched on this a little bit already that often there are these weird gender dynamics at play with the online dating scene. And of course, if we're, if we're just looking at like, let's say heterosexual people, you know, the stereotype is that, a lot of women get just like overwhelmed with matches or messages or likes. And then that men are just like, it doesn't matter how many messages I send out, it's crickets. And, and so people get really discouraged really quickly. And so, yeah, so your sentiment of like what you, you're going to get out of it, what you put into it. I guess I'm kind of wondering about what you know, what you've seen in the data, like anything that you can share for those people um, you know, and it's not always men or straight men, but for those people who feel like I'm really trying to put myself out there and it's getting really discouraging and frustrating that I feel like I'm not getting a lot back. Yeah. So I have friends who are going through that right now. And what they'll do is they'll take a break from the apps mm. um, and then they'll come back to it at another point. And I I think that's a great idea. You know, it's a, it's exhausting. Um, it, and it totally is. And, and probably over time. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It totally is. And, and, you know, one of my friends, I think she's like such an excellent dater um, because she always has such an open mind. But there are periods of the year where she's lining up dates every night of the week. And there's other periods where she's like, I haven't been on the apps for days Mm -hmm. and I'm just not interested. So I I think you you have to take it day by day. And and if it's not working, take a break. Um, But then there's also... You know, if it's more about the quality of matches that you're seeing on a dating app, there are insider tips and tricks that you can leverage. So one thing I tell people all the time is that 
if you update your profile, let's say every two to three weeks, and, and when I say update, I do not mean you have to start a profile from scratch. You don't have to remove everything, but change one or two of your photos and maybe change one or two sentences in your about section or any of the prompts that you fill out. What's going to happen here is that the app is actually going to get confused by your activity. And because there's so much activity happening on the profile, the app is going to think that you're a new user and it's going to start showing you to new users, popular users. It'll just start showing you to a lot more people than before. Because one thing I heard um, from people across all dating apps is, you know, I've been on it for a year and I feel like the quality of my matches has really declined and I'm getting these people who aren't responding to my messages. It seems like they're not even active on the app anymore. So if you keep playing around with your profile and updating it, let's just say once a month, it's going to trick the app and it's going to start showing you to more and more people. So that's like a fun trick that I learned at OkCupid. Oh, that's yeah. gold. That's like this <laughs> right? is what people want to hear is that insider that's hacks. Yes. <laughs> You mentioned having a friend that you felt like was a really excellent dater, and you you mentioned having an open mind as being a part of that. What else do you think are the qualities of someone who's an excellent dater? Yeah, well, I, I think the mindset is key. Um, I sometimes will sit with my friends and I'll swipe with them on their apps. And the biggest turnoff that I see is that people are writing into their profile prompts or their whatever it is, and they're saying swipe left if, and it's such a negative mm. first impression. And I mm. always recommend instead of focusing on what your deal breakers are, and I think it's really important that you know what they are, but instead of focusing on those highlight your deal makers. So think about what's going to make you swipe right on someone? Or why do you want someone to swipe right on you? That's really what you should be shining a light on. So again, I think it goes back to this idea of like your mindset when it comes to dating. If you're just being super negative with it, you're going to attract other negative people, or you're going to attract people who aren't taking it as seriously as you want them to be taking it. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that I feel, I mean, I feel like it is trendy to complain about dating and be really negative about dating right now. I think in particular, since the, since people started trying to kind of get back out there, you know, as the pandemic and like quarantine rules became a little bit less restrictive. I mean, I feel like I've read now like 10,000 articles about heteropessimism mm. and things like that. And so it is funny because I do think it makes sense. It's like people get hurt and people get disappointed. And so you get so sick of that, that then you're like, I'm just going to put all my deal breakers in, you know, right <laughs> in my profile. But often, yeah, I've definitely That's seen that off. that doesn't necessarily shield people from heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, like on that, I, I not to bring up complaints. Now I'm getting negative. Um, <laughs> see how addictive it is. Um, one one complaint that I hear a lot is that we matched, we started talking, and this conversation is going nowhere. Mm. It's you know, there's maybe a few messages every couple of days, or um, you know, there's no concrete plans to meet up. And I always ask people, well, have you made any effort to move the conversation mm -hmm. off the app? And mm -hmm. you have to do this when you feel comfortable and safe to give out your number to, you know, a stranger, but you can't really be shy. When I was on dating apps and I felt a connection with someone and I wanted to move it off the app, I would say, this app is killing my battery. Here's my number. And I moved the conversation to text. Um, we actually asked our daters and 30% of them said, 
they want to move the conversation off the app ASAP and 53% want to move it to text as soon as they agree on plan. So whether that's Mm -hmm. moving it to text, whether that's moving it to a FaceTime date, you have to make sure that you're progressing this conversation. Otherwise, you're going to get all these dud matches that aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's that's also tracks with my experience that it tends to be after we've set, you know, like, okay, let's, what about this day? Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's make plans. Here's my number. And then we kind of moved to text around that. And I didn't even think about that as a pattern, but that makes a lot of sense. It's like, okay, we're, we're going to meet in person anyway. So I guess I'll give you my number that, that just makes mm-hmm. sense. So that's interesting. Um, so something that a term comes up and we've talked about it in the past is cuffing season. And before we started recording, you were talking to us a little bit about this because you at OkCupid actually have data analytics about cuffing season. And so I guess to to start us off, could you kind of define for us from OkCupid's point of view, like from a data analytics point of view, what is cuffing season? And then also kind of when is it and what, what happens there? Yeah. So I think culturally, cuffing season is a period that we see every single year. um, And it tends to happen at the end of summer as the weather starts to dip. And, you know, as the winter months or colder months come, so do the holiday seasons. Mm -hmm. And people are going home to their families. And there's all these really awesome milestones between November, December, January, February that people don't really want to be alone for. They want to have someone for Hanukkah and for Christmas and for New Year's and for Valentine's Day. So during summer, when it's super hot out and they just want to go out and have fun, we see the opposite happen as it gets a little bit colder. And that's when people want to get into a serious relationship, have a partner to spend those holiday, you know, moments with. So that's interesting because I feel like there's some interesting data intersections there. Something that we've talked about on the show before is that you can kind of roughly identify some breakup seasons as well. And it definitely tracks with, so, you know, I work with clients and I work with couples and it definitely tracks with like the times that I'm Mm. the busiest, you know? And so that's usually, what is it? Usually it is like at the end of summer, I find is when there's like a lot of breakups or at least a lot of relationship drama that's happening for people. And then it's like between, um, you know, the end of Christmas and, and Valentine's day, because that's the time usually when it's like, if people are in a relationship, they don't like, they're like, we'll stick together through the holidays. Don't want to be alone in the holidays, but like, I can't, deal with this bleak winter lasting all the way to Valentine's Day. And so that's when breakups tend to happen. (laughs) So I'm wondering, is there like, do you notice any trends of like when people start dating again or like fire back up their profile again outside of cuffing season in particular? Yeah, well, there's a few things I want to respond to here. One is just reacting to what you were just talking about. And, you know, think about what we're doing during the holiday seasons. We're not as busy at work. Mm. We might not be as busy with our extracurriculars. There's a lot of downtime. And I think in that downtime, Mm. it becomes a period of self-reflection for people. And they're thinking about, what do I want in my relationship? What do I want in my career? What do I want in my life? Because I think there's similar 
and I don't know this off the top of my head, but I do think there are similar trends between peak dating season and peak job application seasons. It's when hmm. we're making these like big life changes. Um, going back to cuffing season, there's a couple of big moments we see throughout the year. So I've actually been talking to our data experts, so all the data scientists at OkCupid, and they're actually predicting that November 6th is going to be the official kickoff to cuffing season, which is why <laughs> so we're going to have some leading up to that. Wow. You got to you got to get your apps in the best shape possible. And um, after that kickoff, we're actually expecting the biggest spikes in matching to happen between Halloween and Thanksgiving, with roughly twenty five percent jumps in matches at the highest points. So there's going to be a big boom in activity. Um, after that period, and this is a holiday for lack of a better term that I learned about after working at OkCupid, but every January we experience dating Sunday or single Sunday. It's kind of synonymous, both oh. those terms. And what that day is, the first Sunday of January every single year is the biggest online dating day for all the apps. Wow. Boom in wow. activity on Hinge, Tinder, Okay, Cupid, you name it. And where that comes from is after New Year's Eve, that's when people are like, I got to get my gym membership and I have to get a dating app and I'm going to, I'm going to look my best self and I'm going to get a partner and I don't want to go through, you know, these holidays alone again. Um, so that's actually like the Super Bowl of dating. And that's <laughs> amazing. Honestly, that's the only sports pun you're ever going to get from me. Um, <laughs> but that's the best way and to describe you, it. Around these things. Okay. So you, so you identify November 6th, that's going to be a big kickoff day in January, you know, whatever it is, first Sunday in January. What is going on behind the scenes? for all y'all when you know that these things are happening? Are, is there anything that you're doing differently or is it just being aware that this is probably where we're going to see a spike in activity? Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends. Sometimes we'll align marketing campaigns around these key moments, um, but it's a lot of work on the product teams to make sure that we are prepared as an app for this boom in activity. Because um, the last thing you want is an app crashing. Mm -hmm. um, sure. And luckily, that doesn't fall under my area of responsibility, but <laughs> they're busy. Yeah, I bet. Well, it, you also talked about during this time, you really need to get your app and your profile like in the best shape possible. So are there specific tips that you have to do that to make your profile as good as you possibly can? Yeah, well, one tool on OkCupid specifically that I love is called iCupid, and it's actually a dashboard that's private to you, so you're the only one who will see it, and it gives you little tips and a checklist of how to optimize your profile. It's It'll tell you things like how many more photos to add, how many more words you need in your about section. So that's a great tool for people, but more general tips for anyone on any dating app. Um one is, you know, when you're filling out your profile, make lists. Um, and and what I mean by this is, you know, list things like books that are on your coffee table mm. or songs mm. that people will find on your Spotify playlist mm. or vacations that you still want to go on. A lot of people need help with how to craft a first message and no surprise, guys especially need a lot of help. So if they read something that's a little bit basic in general that you're 
a chill, laid-back woman looking for a man. They have no idea what to do with that. Interesting. So you need to put stuff on your profile <laughs> that makes it easy for guys or really anyone to respond to. And that goes with your photos, too. The selfies, we got to ditch them mm. um, <laughs> and upload photos of things you love doing. So whether that's being at a concert or running or traveling, show people what you're interested in. And I always say that anything you're going to put on your profile, a sentence, a photo... It needs to serve some purpose. It needs to be a conversation starter. That's great advice. And also, I, I just want to drop in the like little caveat of, yeah, I love seeing pictures of people showing what it is that they love doing. It's not helpful if all your pictures are of you like 2,000 miles away on the mountain yeah. in <laughs> do need a sunglasses and a helmet yeah. and like maybe a baklava across your face. I've seen a lot of dating profiles that are like that. So yeah, show show me what you love, but also show me your face yeah, at and, the same time. And let's minimize the group photos. And if you have to include one, put it at the end of your list so that, you know, a lot of people are not patient and they're not going to play Where's Waldo mm, on yeah. your dating app. Who, who are these people? Yeah. Yeah. Which one? <laughs> so many times yeah. I've had to do that. Yeah. yeah. Which which one is it? Yeah. And you're going back and forth between like the one close-up picture and you're like, maybe I think that's this one, but all their friends kind of look the same. Mm. I don't... <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> uh, so before we take our break in the middle of the show here, um, I wanted to ask specifically when we're looking at dating. And one of the things that we love about OkCupid and have for a long time is that from the start, it's been one of the most affirming of different types of relationships. Like non-monogamy is one of the first ones, really the only one at the time when we met each other mm -hmm. that was really supporting that. Um, and then also, you know, LGBTQ dating trends and things like that. And I'm curious to know, one, you know, how the app has changed over the years for that. And then two, just What's that like, again, from a data side of things in OkCupid? Yeah, a, a lot has stayed the same, except we every year continue to build on it, our inclusivity. You know, we love to say that we're exclusively inclusive and we want to make sure that everyone who comes on our app feels safe and they feel welcomed and they feel accepted even if they're part of a demographic that might not necessarily be the biggest group on our app. So for example, LGBTQ plus people, it's obviously a smaller group of people on OkCupid, but we've been introducing features specifically for LGBTQ people since 2004, mm. which is the year we launched. Wow. And we continue to build on that, whether that's being the first to introduce a pronouns feature or being the first to expand gender and orientation options. Um, and similarly with people who are non-monogamous, one of the trends that we've been seeing over the last couple of years is um, that you know, non-monogamy is definitely in. Uh, a majority of our daters still do seek monogamous relationships, but in 2021, users seeking non-monogamous relationships increased 7%, and mentions of non-monogamy and throuple in users' profiles went up 21%. Now, yes, that does sound like a low percentage, but it's not really when you're considering that there are millions and millions of people on this app. Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah. when we looked at our questions, like I, we've talked about our questions before, but we our, our in-app questions have been answered millions and millions of times. And one of our questions that I was looking at recently was, would you consider having an open relationship? And right. over the years, 
30% of almost 30 million daters on our app said they they would consider having an open relationship. But going back to the data, if we break that down by year, this actually jumped from 29% of people in 2018 saying they'd be op- they'd be into non-monogamy to 30% of people in 2019 and 2020, and then up to 34% in 2021 and 2022. And over the last three years, millennials and Gen Zers were actually the most likely to say that they would consider an open relationship. And we also, I mean, we have features for non-monogamous relationships. So on your details page, um, you can actually link profiles with your partner. So this means if someone is visiting your profile, they'll see a link to your partner's profile as well. And the reason why that we do this is because we want to make sure that people, that there's only one person per profile. Right. So you're not doing couples profiles like you see all the time Mm. on Tinder or whatever. Yeah. 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 Yes. But we also don't want to not allow it and not give a workaround to people. Sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I remember I first got on OkCupid back in probably 2010, which feels like 6,000 years ago at this point. But yeah, even back in 2010, it was, they were like the only dating site that offered where you could put your status as like, I'm partnered, but still Mm -hmm. available. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and even that, even though it doesn't say like non-monogamous or in an open relationship or polyamorous or anything right on the tin, just the fact that that was there, I think was so huge. And I think back in the day, that was where all the polyamorous people were, at least all the ones that I met for certain. Now, again, behind the scenes, as you've been expanding those options and trying to continue to make the space even more welcoming to a wide variety of relationships. Has there ever been any controversy behind Mm -hmm. that or has it been easy? Cause it's like, Oh, well the data speaks for itself. So this is what we're going to do. Yeah. So with anything that we do, there's always going to be someone who you are upsetting. But for us, the more important thing is to make sure that when someone comes to our app, no matter how they identify, no matter what type of relationship that they're looking for, they can get on, they can create a profile and they can say, oh, this is a place for me. This is a place where I can find someone. And if someone's choices in how they want to date and who they want to date offend you, we're fine with this not being the app for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, so actually to go back to the thing about linking profiles, it is interesting that you put it in the perspective of part of the point of that is to avoid those couples profiles. So each profile just belongs to one person, um, which, which I do like that a lot. Uh, but I know that amongst polyamorous people, there's been the complaint that you can only link to one, one other profile. person. Yeah. And that I know there's been like some workarounds and stuff in the past for like tagging people in your descriptions. You can link those. I'm just curious if that's something that OkCupid has talked about and thought about and what's what's going on with that. I know there've been like some petitions and things to ask OkCupid to add that. So in the few years that I've been here, it hasn't been a huge complaint in terms of emails that come to our support team or conversations and complaints that we've seen on social, which is probably why there hasn't been that fix. Um, But what I actually love about working here is that whenever a conversation like this pops up, we're able to talk to our product team and they'll, you know, they'll say, hey, we can actually work on that. It'll take us this amount of months or, you know, they're they're so open with these, you know, Mm -hmm. type of updates. For example, 
when I joined, I knew that we already had a pronouns feature. And I thought that was great, but it was for LGBTQ plus people. And it's pretty common and easy for me as a gay man to say, I, I my pronouns are he, him. Um, and during, I think it was 2020, I went to our product team and I was like, Hey, this is, you know, this is an amazing feature, but we should really open it up to our straight users as well, because we need straight people to help normalize the use of gender pronouns. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, done. And now it's open to everyone. (laughs) So that's great. Yeah. I I love that. We're like open to this type of feedback and we like genuinely appreciate hearing it. We have a bunch more questions that we've gotten from our Patreon supporters. But before we get to those, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways that you can support this show. If this is interesting and informative to you and you want us to keep being able to give this content to all of you out there for free, please take a moment to check out our sponsors. And if any of them seem interesting, go check them out. It does directly help support our show and we really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the best-seller's body care set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. All right, folks, we are back. We are here with Michael K. So, I'm sure... That at OKCupid, like anyone who creates any kind of content or product on the internet, you get bombarded with all kinds of super helpful and super nice feedback from people on the internet about the ways that the site could be better. Um, Are there any particular complaints or particularly common complaints uh, that you feel like hold weight that OKCupid tends to focus on or pay attention to? Yeah, so one complaint we hear via email, via Twitter, a lot is around our discovery feature and search box. So years ago, you had the ability to search for different things on the app, like different questions. Mm. Um, We've since removed that feature when we did a huge redesign of our app a couple of years ago and added even more features. But because people were so upset about this, we've actually been working and talking with the product team for quite some time now about figuring out a way to actually bring back that feature and do it seamlessly as part of our, you know, new design because the app looks a lot different. I mean, I joined in 2019. It looks completely different than when I joined. Um, We're like two iterations later at this point. So for us, it it actually takes a lot more time than I ever realized to make product updates. Mm-hmm. There's some product features that we've worked on and we talked about it a year prior. So give us some time. <laughs> We're trying to figure it out and hopefully it will be back. But in the meantime, what you can do is if you're interested to see 
um, a little bit more about someone, when you're on the app, you'll see a match percentage. If you click that percentage, it'll show you all the questions that you answered in common. So uh-huh. if you're interested in seeing if they also love horror movies or if they also are kinky or if they also love iced coffee, you'll able to see all the questions they answered and how they answered in that list. So that's my quick fix for now. And then stay tuned for more updates to come. <laughs> Yeah, our listeners at home aren't seeing this, but the way your eyes bugged out when you said the word Twitter, I can only imagine um, (laughs) (laughs) the kind of commentary you get for all the feedback Twitter, Micah does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So I wanted to discuss some of the things that our patrons had to say about the app and all of the questions that they had. We posted on our Patreon, on our Discord, on our Facebook group, and a ton of people were really, really complimentary of the app. I just, yeah, one of, I, I posted like, do you have questions for Michael K, head of communications? And somebody said, I just want to give props for being the most non-monog friendly dating site I've found in the years that I've been poly. So that's really cool. And that was an overwhelming sentiment from a lot of people. So I do have an initial question here. As someone who found her husband in three of her long-term poly relationships on OkCupid, I'm thankful for how well their algorithm works for non-monogamous folks, and I'm a firm believer that OkCupid is the best dating app out there in terms of non-monogamous capabilities. I'm wondering if there's a way to fine-tune the algorithm so that why I say I'm looking for non-monogamous only, it doesn't show me people who say open to non-monogamy. That's interesting. Hmm. Furthermore, since Michael is the head of communications, is there any plan to put out a survey in the future to OkCupid users, maybe to get some research on the non-monog OkCupid population? I feel like that would be fascinating. Great questions, whoever you are. Um, (laughs) Like, excellent (laughs) questions. The second part is a quick answer. So we're actually, we interview daters all the time. This happens year round. And uh, we're talking to people from different backgrounds, um, different identities, uh, non-monogamous, monogamous. So that's always happening year round. And those people really help influence what the product becomes. Um, In regards to the first question, that's an excellent question. So it really depends on how serious your filters are. Mm. So sometimes we see people who are looking for someone 30 to 33 and they have to be this identity and they have to be this, um, like this many miles away. What happens is there's only so many people that we're able to show you. And once we show you the people who fit all your criteria, we start to loosen it a bit. So that's when you'll see oh, okay, I said I wanted someone to 30 to 33, but this person's 34. That's why that happens. The workaround for that is all your preferences that you fill out on your profile, there's also an option to make those deal breakers. So if you click that something Mm. is a deal breaker, we automatically will never show you someone who does not fit that criteria. So that's an option that you can play with. But I would just encourage you to loosen your preferences just a little bit so that you're getting enough matches to show you. So that's like, why that like happens. Maybe loosen some other ones. Yes. 
or I, yeah. I think the issue is specifically the non-monogamy thing where it's like, I don't want people that are just open, open to, to it. it. I want people who are this and yeah. identify as that. Yeah. Because we have, we have three options for that. It's either, um, you're monogamous, you're non-monogamous or you're open to either. Mm. So right. pay attention mm. to your preferences. Gotcha. Gotcha. So related to that, there is another patron question that maybe overlaps with this a little bit, but this person is asking about, you know, if you've considered expanding those relationship options. So as in expanding into things like, you know, swinging or a committed open relationship or or hierarchical polyamory or looking for relationship anarchy or looking for queer platonic or all these things. And of, of course, you know, whenever you're trying to add more options, it can get really overwhelming really quickly. So I guess I'm just kind of wondering if if there's been any thought about that of kind of expanding the nuance beyond just non-monogamous or not. And I see, Jace, you want to jump in with clarifying? Well, because I think there's there's sort of two parts in the app where this could come up, and I think both could be interesting. But there's the first part where you're just saying, am I monogamous or not? Could be interesting because non-monogamy is like swinging is a pretty different kind of non-monogamy from polyamory or relationship anarchy, at least in terms of what people expect. But then also when you get into the preferences of like, I'm looking for new friends, long-term, short-term, uh, or ca- casual hookups or whatever it is, like those sort of categories too. It's like, well, I'm looking for a secondary partner or a primary partner mm. or like expanding those. So I could see both, both categories being something that could get expanded. But yeah, like Dedeker was saying, as you add more options, maybe you're also making it diff- more difficult to find matches. I don't know. Probably. No, I, I love that. And it's something that we absolutely can and should consider. We, we evolve as society and culture evolves. So the options that we had when we first launched in 2004, there's a ton more now. I mean, this honestly relates more to the LGBTQ plus community, but when we first started, there was probably a handful of identities that queer people can choose from that then moved to um, over 40 gender and orientation options. And then since I've been here, we expanded that even further with 19 new identities. Mm-hmm. So if you're queer now, there's over 60 identities wow. that you can choose from. And you wow. can choose up to five because we understand people don't fit into a singular box. Mm-hmm. So I love bringing those learnings and those updates to um, the non-monogamous community as well. And I think that's something that we'd want to discuss with people in this um, in this space. So that's you know, an opportunity for our research team to be when they're talking to find out from people who are non-monogamous what, maybe not identities is the right word, but uh, what other options they would like to yeah, see like on their style. Relationships. Yeah, it can be a, yeah. the right word for some people for sure. But yeah, what people are looking for, absolutely. Because some people identify yeah. as a swinger and not polyamorous. Some people say non-monogamous is, you know, a certain type of thing that they are. So... Although uh, something we're always talking about on this show, though, is is it's like even if you put polyamory in your dating That's profile, true. you're still going to have to have a conversation that with that mean? other person about what that actually means to you. You know, just because they also say polyamory doesn't mean that automatically, ooh, we practice the same type of polyamory, right? So, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I would definitely love, and I think a lot of people would love to see more expanded options to help with searching, to help with filtering, and also just want people to know that that's not going to solve all our problems, unfortunately. 
Yeah, but we can also, you know, we've used our app to educate our users as well. We've obviously done that with the questions that we are adding to the app. But, you know, earlier this year, we heard from people who are, and this came up with our our research team, and then they were talking to daters, and they heard from people who are non-binary and transgender, and they said, we love, oh, here's also a complaint. We love that (laughs) you have all these identities on the app, but we're being matched with people who don't really understand what my identity is. And mm-hmm. I don't want to have to explain it to every other person. And we thought, you're completely right. Yeah. And we partnered with the Human Rights Campaign. And we actually added definitions um, into the app next to every single identity. Oh, wow, so really that when cool. you are looking at it from a user perspective, you know which ones make most sense for you. But also when you're on the reverse side and you're saying what you're looking for, now you understand mm-hmm. what these identities mean and you're not just clicking all and then saying, well, I don't know if that's something I am mm-hmm. interested in. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I think I wouldn't have even thought about that. That yeah, with definitely some other dating apps that I've used, even if they're quite inclusive with what gender identity or sexuality, it is often assuming you just got to know what that means. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. interesting. So we have a couple questions here that are related to each other. Um, and these are kind of about discoverability, but like a not discoverability in a way. So the first question is, uh, can dating apps begin making it possible to select only other queer people? To clarify, I'm a bisexual cis woman. I'm interested in connections with queer people of all genders the way dating apps are organized at the moment, I mostly see profiles from straight men. Hmm. So most of the profiles are not ones that I'd consider. And then I think it's kind of related to this second question here, which is I miss the option to make yourself invisible to straight people. Is that something they'd consider bringing back? Yeah. So first you have, I can't speak for other dating apps. Um, What I will say for OkCupid is that we're, one of the only non-exclusive, exclusively LGBTQ plus dating apps that do, that does not force users to select being shown in a binary context. Mm-hmm. So that's not something you have to worry about on our app. And then I think with all these new identities and orientation options, I mean, there's over 60 now. Um, chances are you are able to match with someone who does fit the criteria that you are looking for um and then we do have a and i don't know if this is going to answer the person's question but we do have an incognito mode feature that does hide your profile um so maybe that's a fix for that person Mm -hmm. that's kind Um, of hiding just in general though right yeah they're looking to hide from straight people i guess yeah if they're only specifically looking for queer people yeah, I think the challenge is it depends on what that person says they're looking for, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they can themselves identify as straight, but be mm-hmm. open to being matched with someone who identifies as bisexual. And I mean, that's how our app is like that's how our algorithm works. We match people based on a few things. Um, it's what you say you're looking for, what they say they're looking for, and then the questions power the rest of it. So there's a lot of factors that go into this. Yeah, I guess I'm wondering is I, I can imagine in this particular case, if it's, you know, 
someone who is a straight man saying that they're open to connecting with a bisexual woman, right? And that's maybe not quite what this person wants on the other side. Yeah, that that can get a little bit tricky. Right. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting logic question to be like, so what's the filter then to (laughs) say, I'm interested, like men are an option who are interested in women, which is what I am, but but they also have to be interested in other people that are not women. (laughs) Like that is kind of a tricky... Uh, yeah, extra step to add to that algorithm. Yeah. That is an interesting question. I just, yeah, I mean, I'm just marveling at in, first of all, I, I think I'm, I'm marveling at OkCupid really being around as long as it has, right? And I do think that adaptability is probably a big part of that, yeah. right? Like not just being really stuck in it being a particular way, like really needing to stay on the forefront of how people are dating, what they're looking for, the ways that they're expressing what they're looking for. Like, it's really, yeah, I just think especially right now when I think apps and products and dating trends just like rise and fall so quickly, I think that sticking power that OkCupid has had probably attests to that adaptability being a really like a core value behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we've been around for almost 20 years and we're, you know, we now have millions of people in over a hundred countries all Mm -hmm. around the world. And it's because we're using our app to create as much of a tailored personalized experience as you possibly can. So your experience in Istanbul is going to be very different as a straight person than a bisexual person in New York City, than a transgender person in London. And we lean on our questions a lot for this. We actually have localized questions in over 30 countries around the world that are tailored to people in that specific country. And then we also Mm. have questions for queer people and questions for gay people and questions for bisexual people because everyone's dating differently. Like what people care about changes by country, by age, by identity. So that's how we're using our app. I, yeah, I think we we will have to bring you back for that whole conversation because I love that stuff also as someone who has spent several years digital nomading and using a variety of apps in different cultures. That it is so funny to see how the experience is different. And oh yeah, I would yeah. be really fascinated to hear more and more in depth about how it's different. Uh, you know, on the other side as well. We did have a number of questions asking about, you know, what's the data you have on things like numbers of matches of people who are non-monogamous versus monogamous or numbers of new profiles or, you know, kind of like you mentioned some of those statistics about people answering that open to non-monogamy question and how that percentage has gone up and up and up each year, it seems. I was curious with that information that you're getting all the time from these interviews and question answers, is that ever published anywhere? Where can people get access to some of that information as it comes out and gets collected? Yeah. So the best place for people to go is our blog. So if you literally Google OkCupid blog, you will see all our latest blog posts. And one thing I launched last year, which I'm super excited about, is our dating data center. And you will notice blog posts that are literally called OkCupid's Dating Data Center. And what that is, is basically just 
our newest in-app matching questions and how people are responding to them. So if you're ever interested in the latest, newest data points, that's where you will find that. And that's on our blog as well. Uh, this is... Uh... Wow. I love this. I just, <laughs> I just, just, just is really, <laughs> I was like, I was like about to, you know, boot up my okay Cupid profile again. And I'm like, actually, no, I just want to spend all my time with this data. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be really excited about that as well. So Michael, this has been so wonderful. We really appreciate your time. Where can our listeners find more out about you or find you out there in the wild? And also, can you tell us a little bit about the promotion that you were talking about earlier to us? Yeah, so you can find me at Michael K PR on Instagram and Twitter. DMs are open if you have dating, relationship, dating app questions, wow, wow. just want to say hi, just want to complain, so um, whatever <laughs> you want. And then if you are a listener of Multiamory, as we are, if you email subscriptions at okcupid.com after creating a free account, so either you have an account already that you're not paying for or you download the app for free and create a free profile. Email subscriptions at okcupid.com. Let us know where you heard us and we will upgrade you to our premium subscription because you can have a free experience on OKCupid, but why not get all the bells and whistles for free for being a loyal podcast listener? That's so outrageously wow. generous. Thank you. Yeah, I will be sending you my logins. That's motivating for me to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to fire up an OKCupid yeah. account again. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Awesome. I Well, thank you so much, Michael. We have a question for all y'all out there on our Instagram this week. And it is, do you date online? And what do you like about it? And what do you find frustrating? I bet there's a lot of things to love and a lot of things that are really challenging about it. But hopefully this podcast helped you out with some of those things that you need help on some tips and tricks about your profile and all of the insider scoop. So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork, and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP and the full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 